This is VLX, video Lexi Divina number 94, the hem of his garment. We are in Matthew chapter 14, just verses 34 and 35 and 36. Quick thank you to all my donors, a giant thank you to all my donors, and you can see my life update and advent pitch on my blog, which I'm going to link in the show notes. God give you his peace and omnipotri sefiriit spiritu santi, amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In omni patris spiritu santi, amen. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Genasaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So not too long of one this week. You know, we're in the last section of Matthew 14, and Jesus is finally back on the Israeli side of Lake Tiberias. After so many astonishing wonders, including healing people, the miraculous feeding of 5,000 people, walking on water, and even more amazingly, having Peter walk via Peter's faith. So today wraps up chapter 14. And remember as we look at this that some places in the past and in the future of where Jesus goes, some of the places where Jesus goes have so little faith or maybe distrust of Jesus that they want nothing to do with them. They actually ask Jesus to leave. Today, thanks be to God, is the opposite. Uh, these people not only have faith, but they want to bring the whole world to Jesus. Listen again. And when they had crossed over, that means Jesus and the apostles, they came to the land of Genesaret, And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent all around to that region and brought to him all who were sick. Okay, now the Greek word for recognized there is epignontes. Epignontes is actually a participle, kind of meaning recognizing. And it has that same root word gnosis or knowledge that we have in English, but it's very related to the word recognized in English. So it's a perfect translation, recognized Jesus. They recognized Jesus. Well, Remember, obviously, this was not only before the internet, but obviously long before photographs. So we have to ask, how did they recognize him? Was it by his face? Was it by his voice? Was it by just the grace pouring out around him? Was it by his miracles? Or maybe just word had spread by word of mouth, you know, obviously before the internet. Maybe word, had just, word of mouth had spread, he was coming. Uh, can you imagine the excitement at that? What is his face going to look like? You've heard all about him, but this is your first time seeing him. Remember, we have to get out of IBL, imaginary Bible land. Jesus didn't have every man's face. He literally had a human face. Imagine that. Even if you're not in the imaginative way of prayer, seeing Jesus for the first time. Okay, so they sent out. What did they send out? Well, something or someone. And then the purpose of this was to bring in all the sick directly to Jesus in that entire region. So we have that word sent. It doesn't exactly say who, but let's look at that verb sent. It's Apostolon. Apostolon has the same root word as apostle. And apostle, as you know, means one who is sent. So the men of this region recognized Jesus, and then what did they send out? Well, presumably people. People as these little emissaries, these, these fast little couriers to tell everyone in a radius around their region, Jesus Christ was here. Basically, quickly bring your sick. Now, how big of a radius? I don't know. Uh, Jesus seems to spend not too long at places, maybe somewhere between an afternoon to, I think we have a couple times in the gospel where he, he stays a couple days in a place, especially if they have faith. But if you really think about it, he really spends very little time as a visitor. So he has to move fast because he has to reach so many people with his healing, his miracles, and the gospel. 
So it seems that they have limited time to bring everyone there. So I don't know, maybe a five mile radius, maybe 10 at the maximum. These are just my guesses. But they seem to know they have limited time. So they sent out these walkers or maybe even these runners to let everyone know in this radius, Jesus the healer is here. This miracle worker is in Genesaret. Imagine being in your own small, let's say you grew up in a small town. Imagine being in a small town and the most famous prophet in the world is showing up, just showed up, and you want everyone you know who's sick to come there and you make sure that they get there because you're that confident that he can that he can heal. This is how confident people were and it pays off because he really does heal them as we're going to see. Now, thankfully, this is all before selfies and all that narcissistic culture that Unfortunately, I'm even a part of trying to evangelize online and stuff. It's not healthy. But this is before the days of social media, and yet they still recognize him. Okay, in any case, the sick in all that region, they clearly believe too. This is important. Notice that there's two groups of believers in today's gospel. Even though it's a very, we're just looking at three verses, we can capture a lot in there. There's two groups of believers. The men of that region recognize Jesus, but we have to remember that's not enough to bring on all the sick. All the sick would also have to consent. Yeah, even in the first century, in ancient days, there was still consent for things like this. All of the sick would have to consent to being brought there, even back then. And sure enough, they also recognize Jesus and they want to be healed. So we can assume they get there pretty quickly. Since I said earlier, Jesus can move pretty quickly. He's kind of on the go. And by the way, when I say on the go for Jesus, that doesn't mean he lived a frenetic life or was rushed or... I mean, clearly he even had time for decent conversations with a single person. Look at the woman at the well in John 4, one of my favorite times. We'll get to John in future VLXs. But anyway, back to the end of Matthew 14 today. All of the sick are brought there. So let's look at that word brought. Brought doesn't sound like a very exciting word to look at. But the Greek word for brought there is prosinikon. Prosinikon is plural, as in they brought. It's saying these runners or these walkers to the towns they brought the sick. Or maybe their family and friends brought them there. But notice it's a very different word than walk or go. Why is that important? Because it's clearly not the sick walking themselves. Well, this can mean only one thing. Looking at that Greek word prosinikon, they brought. They brought the sick, meaning these sick are truly crippled or lame or lepers or paralyzed or a dozen things that can make a man or a woman incapacitated. They had to bring him there because they couldn't walk there. And why do I mention the Greek? I think most of you know this, but the Old Testament was mostly written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. So every time I say the Greek, I'm talking about the original language that the gospel writers wrote this under, under inspiration. Now, even if you're doing the imaginative way of prayer, notice this is what you may want to do. You may want to pretend like you're one of the sick people who is brought there. Imagine your friends, your family bringing you, very sick, crippled, whatever, to Jesus, and you've never seen his face either. And notice, um, as you're on your way, you're also surrounded by many other people who are really injured or really sick. Because St. Matthew wrote, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick. There's never an accidental word when God is the author. And all of scripture, God is the author with just the evangelist as the instruments. But we know from Providentism's days by Leo XIII that All of scripture is written by the dictation of the Holy Ghost. That is directly from a infallible encyclical by Leo XIII. We really know God is the author. So when we hear all in that region or all who are sick, we know that's 
definitively and literally from God. But those two words are actually different. This is why it's important we look at the Greek. Uh, Holin, as in whole region, the whole region, and then pantas, as in all the sick. So they're slightly different words, but it means the, the same thing. In other words, the entirety, the whole region. Kind of neat that the word in Greek sounds like English, holin, whole region, and pantas, all of the sick. Pantes has the same root word of our prefix pan, uh, which is hundreds. If you Google prefix pan in English, you'll find literally hundreds of words that mean all something. Uh, here's just a few random examples. Panacea, pandemonium, pangeni, panoistic, panoply, panorama, panoramata, pantheism, panzootic, and pampathy. pampathy. All of those mean all something. So when we hear all, the nice thing is um, we have the Greek right there, pantes, but we also have a lot of words in English that show the same thing. So all these people are there, and then what do they do next? It says, they implore Jesus. They implore him. Now, okay, this has some real important theology. Notice Jesus wants to heal you, but you still have to implore him. I think a lot of you know I usually go to the abortion center to pray on Wednesdays, and I have some evangelical friends there. And was, Usually we try to keep theology out of it, but it's interesting. A couple evangelicals brought up last time, they, they did a little preaching to me as a Catholic. One basically said, you don't have to do any works to earn God's grace. Another basically said, you shouldn't do any works. Okay, now it's true at the outset of a conversion that God often graces a sinful person with unmerited grace, absolutely. But let's look at today, at the end of Matthew 14. I know there's some Protestants listening. What do Protestants do with that word implore there? Let's look at the theology behind that. Yeah, Jesus wants to heal the sick, but he expects something there. Jesus isn't a a, a vending machine. I don't mean that blasphemously. You don't just say what you want and get it immediately. The ESV said they implored him. The Douay Rhymes Bible, the classic Latin uh, to English translation that many traditionalists use, says they besought him. And the NIV, which is evangelical Protestants, most of their favorite translation is, it's even a stronger word, ironically. It says, they begged him. You see, again, Jesus isn't a vending machine. He, he does want to heal us, but sometimes we have to beg him. And this is why God often hears prayers buttressed with fasting must, much faster than just prayer. In fact, fasting plus prayer to have God hear your prayers, that's That is so biblical that not even evangelicals can counter that, of course. So let's stick with the NIV for a minute. It says, And they begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. And notice some translations say the edge of his cloak, but the Dewey Rhyme says hem of his garment, and I like that, so I named today's video Lexi Divina that, VLX94, hem of his garment. But you can picture it either way, I hope. You know, the edge of his cloak or the hem of his garment this is all they have to touch to be healed. Now, why aren't they just just um, touching him? You know, this is going to sound like a little bit of a weird diversion, but if you look in the old school Catholic priestly books on how to like comport yourself as a priest, it says priests should never hug women. Um, and we might want to look at that and say, well, you know, the modern view of Jesus is Jesus is just going around giving everybody bear hugs all the time and, and everything. Well, okay, so which one is correct? Uh, the modernist view Jesus bear-hugging everyone, or the old-school, grumpy, priestly book saying priests shouldn't hug women. Well, all we have to do is look in the Bible. When Mary Magdalene saw the risen Jesus, she presumably tries to hug or hold on to him, you know, as rightly as she should. She's so excited to see our Lord. Uh, But then Jesus says in John 20, 17, 
Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. The Latin there is even more pronounced. Nole me tangere. Do not touch me. Um, okay, so it looks like the old school priestly books are correct when it says priests just don't go around bear-hugging people. Uh, but, you know, it's not even necessary for the people today to touch Jesus because there's just this much power and grace coming out of him. This isn't me trying to clamp down the joy and the power of the gospel. The point is you don't have to uh, drum up something that's not even there because there's already so much power and grace coming out of Jesus that just touching the hem of his garment is enough to get healed. I think of uh, Isaiah 61.10. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. Now, St. John Chrysostom adds here that if those who touch the hem of Christ's garment were healed, how much more those who tr- touch the whole Christ even feed upon him in the Eucharist? Let me read that again from St. John Chrysostom. That if those who touch the hem of Christ's garment were healed, how much more those who touch the whole Christ even feed upon him in the Eucharist? So maybe remember that line from St. John Chrysostom next time you go to Holy Communion. And then do truly ask our Lord to be healed of all illnesses of mind and body. Also, you might notice this is why some Catholic movements you may see have people, lay people, touch just the humeral veil surrounding the monstrance when our Lord is brought to them in the Luna by the priest. Okay, final sentence in Matthew 14 today. And as many as touched it were made well. Now, this seems to imply everyone. Everyone touched it, or at least everyone who touched it was made well. Um, but those words in English were made well, those three words, well, the cool thing is it's just one word in Greek. You might want to write that above your uh, English or Spanish or Chinese or Portuguese, whatever you're doing this study in. The Greek there is diasothisan. Diasothisan is actually from the first person present, diasodzo. And diasodzo means I bring safely through, I save, I rescue, or I cure. So basically, not basically, literally it's saying they were saved and rescued and cured all in one single word right there. In fact, that word, diasothisan, has the same root word as the Greek word for salvation. In fact, if you Google the English word soteriology, kind of a big word, but go ahead and Google it, soteriology, and you'll see, even in English, this is the study of salvation. Well, that's the same root word as today's diasothisan. And by the way, soteriology, if you don't want to Google it, is just the study of how we are saved by salvation. It's a subsect of theology. You can watch my CPX series for the dogma of soteriology to really see how we Catholics say you are saved, or really how Christ gave to the apostles how to be saved by him. But just today, look at that word soteriology. Again, it has the same root word as today's last verb, which is actually the last word in Matthew 14, all of Matthew 14, again, diasothesan, meaning Literally, these people were saved. Okay, now granted, it's talking about their bodies. And hopefully, the apostles one day also washed many or all of their souls clean in baptism. Or, you know, Jesus certainly could forgive their sins today without the sacred gospel writer necessarily taking note of it. But notwithstanding all those things, I think today is specifically in regards to their bodies being saved. But still, it's worth meditating on that word, diasothesan, and how it means rescued and cured. Jesus rescued their bodies today from demons and death and corruption. Now, I add on top of that, you know, it sure be nice if we had these miracle workers like Padre Pio who had all the power of Jesus flowing through them. And even though we don't seem to have many or any Padre Pios walking around, 
this is the great news still is that Anyone can be baptized and have Jesus rescue your souls as powerfully as if Jesus were the one doing the baptism if you are baptized. So if you're listening to this series and not baptized, I ask you, I implore you to make Christ, to accept Christ as your God and your friend and your Savior and be baptized. And this will be the beginning of your soul being rescued. Okay, last point. You know, Father Lapide points out that today's miracles were done around Passover. Well, which Passover? Well, Father Lapide says this was the third Passover of Christ's preaching. That should make you really kind of jump back for a minute. Why? Because that means there's only one year to go of his preaching and miracles and then his final Passover. Well, what happens at Passover? That's, that's his execution. So this is basically Father Lapide saying, we have one year left in the Gospel of Matthew with Jesus alive. Of course, he comes back to life in the resurrection two days later. Uh, but that means there's only one year to go in life, meaning today Jesus is 32 years old in today's VLX. Okay, but now look at this. If you look at the VLX series, why are we only half done with Matthew? And please, God, we're also going to get to um, Mark and Luke and John and maybe some other uh, books of the Bible. It's going to take a long time. Uh, But we're only halfway done with Matthew. But hold on, Jesus is 32 and he only lives to 33 doesn't seem the math works out, right? Well, here's the answer is we're half done with Matthew, but Jesus is at 32 of 33 years on earth. Why? Because his passion and his death and his resurrection is just that important to cover so much of the Gospels. The last year in Jesus's life here is half of Matthew's Gospel. John is even more amazing. Remember, there's 21 chapters to the Gospel of John. John 13 begins this long, beautiful prayer to God the Father and... Uh, admonishment to the apostles all through Holy Thursday that night. And then we have all the way through John 20 and 21, the resurrection, which means that means something like 40% of the gospel of John, which is John 13 to John 21. Maybe it's closer to 50%. Half of John is the passion and resurrection of Jesus. In other words, John 13 onwards takes place during Holy Week. Okay. Last couple things, you know, we're getting ready for Matthew 15. And one of the things you're going to notice as we get into Matthew 15 and the rest of Matthew for the last year of Jesus's life is the miracles speed up, but so also does the jealousy of the Pharisees. And so even though we have a long way to go, we're kind of just switching from second gear to third gear now, pretty fast to the crucifixion and the resurrection. So please do keep all of the events of the Passion and the Resurrection on the back burner of your meditation, even when they're not your primary meditation. But I can also give you a, a little admonishment, admonishment too, that you really should try to make the Passion of Jesus your exclusive meditation a few days a week. That seems to be the unanimous advice of most saints on mental prayer is to make sure to meditate frequently on the Passion of Jesus. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio de omnipotentis, patris et et spiritus sancti descendit super vos et maniat semper. Amen.